think I'm a little hot. I appreciate Greg doing triple duty, filling in as a sound guy and the whole deal. We ready to go? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you're learning. We've really just witnessed a very special event in the life of a church, the ordination of a of a man to the gospel ministry. To begin with you this morning, or, or this evening actually, where this is entitled a Council of Elders, or excuse me, a Council of Equals, which happens to be a Council of Elders, and it really uh, providentially fit together very well. This, uh, when I was planning this series out, this is ordaining Keith tonight wasn't part of it all, but let me just begin by asking a couple of questions, get our minds working here. What you just witnessed, did that confer any kind of special authority or powers upon Keith? Is the pastor the head of the church? Is he the guy who's in charge? Is he the final authority on all matters of faith and practice? Is the pastor the only one who can baptize? Is he the only one who can serve communion? Mary? Barry? Is it all him? This is where I really begin to meddle. Is the title Senior Pastor a biblical title? What do the Scriptures have to say about such things? Tonight I want to look with you at three critical realities of shared leadership so that we will understand the importance of a council of equals in the leadership of this church right here. I want to look with you at the biblical evidence for shared leadership. I want to look with you at the beneficial effects of shared leadership. And I want to look with you at the basic exception to shared leadership. Let's look first in the time that remains at the biblical evidence for the concept of a shared leadership within the church. You know, the idea of a council of elders is firmly rooted in the Old Testament. One does not have to read very far to, to see that the nation of Israel was led by a group of men called elders. In fact, in Numbers chapter 11, Moses, who's being swamped with the leadership responsibilities of the congregation, cries out to God, and God said, Choose from among the elders 70 men who can assist you in the task. Furthermore, Jesus himself, when he began his ministry, chose 12 men. Men whom he walked with, men whom he lived with, men whom he trained along the way that they might give leadership in the church. It's significant, beloved, that Christ did not choose one man and entrust the whole enterprise to him. But instead, he chose a group of men. The concept of shared leadership is as old as the church itself. In fact, it's older. It, as I said, it goes back into the Old Testament. Think about Acts chapter 13. Five men ministering there in the church in Antioch, and the Spirit says, select from among you. These two men and sent out Paul and Barnabas on missionary endeavor, didn't they? Didn't they? But there were five men, at least five. The, the Scripture gives us five names there. At least five men who were giving leadership to that local congregation there at Antioch. 
The biblical evidence for a plurality of elders, for a shared leadership, for a council of equals is everywhere. Let's do a little sword drill here and be refreshed on this. Go to the book of Acts. We'll begin in verse or chapter 14. Chapter 14 of the book of Acts, it's in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas have gone out and they've been planting churches among the Gentiles. In verse 23, Acts 14, Luke says, And when they had appointed elders, you see the S, the end of that word? That makes it plural. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, there's no S on the end of church, you see that? It's church singular, elders plural. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In each church that they planted, they came back through a year or so later. And they appointed a council of leaders, a council of elders, a a shared leadership for these little fledgling congregations. Go over with me a, a chapter and go to Acts 15. Look at verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had come back to the church in Antioch that had sent them out, and there's a there's a great dissension, it says, verse 2, and debate with regard to the issue of circumcision for the Gentiles. It says, The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders, plural, concerning this issue. Down to verse 6. And the apostles and the elders, plural, came together to look into this matter. It was a shared leadership. The church, both at Antioch and in Jerusalem. Over to Acts chapter 20. Paul is is hurrying to get back to Jerusalem. In time, he wants to be there by Pentecost, it says in verse 16. But look at verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the pastor of the church. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Who did he call to himself? The elders, plural. He brought together the elders of the church, not the pastor. Go to verse 28 of the same chapter. He's giving instruction here, and he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Paul is speaking to the elders here, and he's he's giving them a pastoral charge. There's more than one. There's more than one. James chapter 5 and verse 14. I'm going to take the time and turn to all of these with you because I want to drive it deep in your hearts. The biblical evidence is great and far-reaching for this concept. James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for who? The elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, a a plurality. James is a very early epistle. This concept is firmly rooted in the church. Go back to the left and go to Philippians. Chapter 1. In verse 1, Paul's salutation to the church at Philippi. 
one church, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the what? Overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. There is a shared leadership of the church at Philippi. Elders, deacons. Go back to the right to 1 Peter. We looked at this passage last week, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, therefore, I exhort the elders, plural, among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Go with me to Titus. Chapter 1. Verse 5, for this reason, Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Elders, plural. Paul says, I, I, I've left you here to set in order what remains. What Paul's saying is that the church is not in order. It's not mature. It's not, it's not ready to stand on its own until it has elders, plural. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And then I'll stop. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders, plural, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Plural again. The elders taught and led the church at Ephesus. There is a shared leadership function in the church of God. The witness is consistent all the way through the New Testament. The idea of a single man in charge of the church, somehow responsible for the whole church, is just an unbiblical concept. It is elders. It is a council of equals. It is a shared leadership. The biblical evidence. Let's look at the beneficial effects of a shared leadership. There are really three practical, at least three practical benefits of having a shared leadership. First, a shared leadership provides balance to the leadership team. It provides balance. I mean, every elder, every man has his own faults, right? Has his own deficiencies, has his own blind spots, his own Personality quirks. I mean, nobody has it all. Nobody is the complete and total package. Words of C.S. Lewis, we all have our fatal flaw. Now, it's easy to see fatal flaws in others, isn't it? I mean, you can look at your spouse and you can see their fatal flaw. But when you look in the mirror, you don't see yours. Such is the way it is. We clearly see troubles and blind spots and problems in other people, but we are unable to see them in ourselves for the most, most part. We're blind to our own faults. Just as other people frustrate us, guess what? We frustrate them. People ask me, how, how are things with you and Dennis? And I, and I say, things with Dennis and I are great. I, I'm sure I frustrate him constantly. <laughs> He's so gracious. I mean, there's a balance that comes when there's a shared leadership, when there's a plurality of elders. 
Listen to what Alexander Strock says in his book, Biblical Eldership. In a team leadership structure, different members complement one another and balance one another's weaknesses. If one elder has a tendency to act harshly with people, the others can temper his harshness. If some members fear confrontation with people, others can press for action. Elders who are more doctrinally oriented can sharpen those who are more outreach or service oriented. And the outreach and service minded elders can ignite the intellectually oriented members to a more evangelism and service. We need each other. We balance each other. There's balance that comes from shared leadership. Second beneficial effect. Shared leadership lightens the workload. Shepherding the church of God requires long hours. There's a weighty responsibility. Again, Numbers chapter 11, it nearly broke Moses. People got problems. And in the leadership of the church, you're dealing with people's problems, sometimes at the most intimate of levels. It's wearying. There's all that complaining that goes on. You're dealing with the effect of sin in people's lives. I mean, there's a, there's a measure of ugliness to it. It can overwhelm you if you're all alone. But elders support each other. Elders pray for each other. Elders counsel one another. Elders encourage one another. Stay at the task. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he wasn't writing about biblical eldership, but what he has to say applies. Listen. Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one, Solomon says, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is a a diversity and a lightening of the workload, a, a spreading out. That diversification occurs many times according to giftedness. Again, nobody has it all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about that. He says the gifts have been given because you need each other. The idea of one man doing everything, it's nutty. It's a recipe for madness. Maybe it's one of the reasons why average pastoral tenure today in America is about two years. It's as long as they can stand it. As long as the church can stand them. It's awful. Third beneficial effect. It provides accountability. It provides accountability. Shared leadership provides the needed restraint on pride and on greed and on playing God with people's lives. The New Testament grants to the leadership of the church, to the elders of the church, a tremendous level of authority. They are the ones to adjudicate family problems. They're the ones to be confronting sin and rebellion in people's lives. They're to provide instruction. They're to enforce doctrinal and behavioral standards within the church. All of these biblically fall within the purview of the leadership, the elders of the church. Power is intoxicating. That kind of 
Power is inherently corrupting. One man with that kind of authority over people's lives, it's easy to go astray, to go askew. But see, when you have a shared leadership, there's an accountability structure built in. There's a, a peer accountability as well. I mean, it's the tragedies of a lone wolf pastor who falls to sexual sin or some other reason that he's disqualified from the ministry is just tragic. But we hear this over and over and over again. Big names, radio personalities, multiplied thousands in the congregation. And then we, we wake up one morning, we find the guy's corrupt to the core. Where was the shared leadership? Where was the accountability structures to keep this man on track? They didn't exist. They didn't exist. The elders here at Foothill have implemented something goes back, well, I don't know, maybe even a year now, called accountability triads. We meet approximately twice a month, and one of the first parts of our meeting, we meet to pray together, but as part of that also, there's a, a time when we break off into groups of three, and we have a series of questions, sort of gut check questions, and we go eyeball to eyeball, we break into little separate rooms. And we just go back and forth on these questions, checking each other's heart, checking each other's lives. Are you walking with the Lord? Or is this whole thing a, kind of a joke? And then the last question we ask each other when we finish is, have you lied on any of the answers to the questions you've just answered? You kind of get a second bite at the apple if you've, maybe your conscience is bothering you. There's accountability built into shared leadership. It's critical. Shared leadership overcomes laziness. Another beneficial effect. It overcomes laziness. Now, let's face it. Left to ourselves, if you have a hard thing to do and an easy thing to do, what are you going to do? Right? I mean, that's pretty, pretty straightforward, isn't it? We gravitate to that which is comfortable, that which is familiar, that which is easy, that which is enjoyable. That what we avoid is the, the problems, the conflicts, the hard things. Got to put it off. It's like a workout partner. You know, you go to the gymnasium by yourself and you may be highly motivated, but it doesn't take long before instead of doing 10 reps, you do eight. You know, because it kind of hurts and ah, I'll do it next week. Your workout schedule just falls apart. But if you have a workout partner, you sort of spur each other on, don't you? The Lord knew this. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, when... It says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Why did he send them out two by two? Just practical wisdom to encourage one another for the task. I mean, how would you like to go out all by yourself and knock on the first door and get it slammed in your face and then the second door and then the third door and then the fourth door? Before long, you'd say, what? I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Gives us accountability. There are hazards. It's not all just benefits. There are hazards of shared leadership. The most efficient and productive leadership structure in the world is a dictatorship. Okay? The most gets done when there's a single dictator. The problem is that we're all corrupt and none of us are fit to be dictators. But guess what happens in the millennial kingdom? We have one, don't we? We have a perfect king. And it'll be an incredible time of peace and prosperity. But in the meantime... 
or hazards that go with a shared leadership structure. It can be slow. It can be disorganized. It can be ineffectual. You can get into gridlock. It requires a lot of prayer, a lot of perseverance, a lot of humility, a lot of patience with one another. Kind of a mutual respect, a trust, a love for each other. You have to think the best of each other. If you don't, you can find yourselves at loggerheads and you can blow a church up. Shared leadership by biblically qualified men is God's plan for his church. The elders share equal responsibility, equal authority, the position to which God has called them in leadership. There's no hierarchy. There's no one person whose opinion or counsel is inherently more godly or wise than another's. There's no one person among this group who is closer to God than anybody else. There's no one person whose prayers are more efficacious. No one more holy, more godly than the others. They act as a council. They share equal authority, equal responsibility for the flock of God. But they're not all equal in giftedness. They're not all equal in biblical knowledge. They're not all equal in leadership abilities, experience, even dedication to the task. The Romans had a phrase. See if I can say it here in Latin, Dennis. Primus inter passe. I think that's it. It means first among equals. First among equals. That kind of leads us to our third reality of shared leadership. There is a basic exception to shared leadership. Jesus chose 12 disciples, didn't he? He commissioned all of them to preach the gospel. He empowered all of them to heal. Look at with me at Matthew chapter 10. See this. Chapter 10, verse 1 of Matthew. And having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Up down to verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These 12 men are equally responsible, equally qualified, equally authoritative in what they're about. Yet there is a first among equals here, isn't there? I mean, think about this with me. Jesus chose out of this pool of 12, three men. Peter, James, and who was the third? John. He chose them as special men from within this pool of men. It was these three who witnessed his power and his glory, the raising of the daughter of the synagogue official, Luke 8 and 51. It was these three who went up the mountain with him and saw him transfigured. Luke 9. Beyond that, even within the three, there is one who acts as spokesman for them all, isn't there? I mean, as you read through the Gospels, 
Whose name repeatedly comes up with questions or statements? It's Peter's. It's Peter's, isn't it? There are four lists in the New Testament of the disciples. Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1. Each list of 12 is subdivided into three groups of four. Three groups of four names in each list. And the, th and the three subgroups always contain the same four names. It's consistent. They're not always in the same order, but the same four names are in each of the three subgroups. One thing that is consistent is the first name mentioned in each of the three subgroups is always the same. Peter, James, and John. The first subgroup contains Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Sorry, I said that wrong before. The first subgroup contains Peter, James, John, and Andrew. The second has Philip, Matthew, Nathaniel, and Thomas. The last has James, Thaddeus, and the two Judases. But within the three subgroups, the first name mentioned is always the same. And it's Peter, and it's Philip, and it's James. Some Bible commentators, by the way, think that's the order that they sat in the boat as they rowed. Perhaps so. But in any case, they're broken down into three subsets of four each. And there's always the first name listed in each of the four groups. They were sort of first among equals. They were leaders of the little bands. And the spokesman for the whole enterprise was Peter, wasn't it? Look with me at Luke chapter 22. Notice something interesting. This is not happenstance. Luke 22, pick it up in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Why didn't he say it to one of the other disciples? Why did he say it to Peter? Peter was a first among equals. He was a leader of this apostolic band. We see that when we move into the book of Acts. The first half of the book of Acts is all about Peter. All about Peter. John accompanies him in the early part of the book, doesn't he? They're kind of walking along together. Remember, they go into the temple and they, they see the man there and, and uh, he, he's begging uh, money from them. And he says, we don't, you know, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give you the name of Jesus Christ, Nazarene, stand and uh, walk. And it happens. But you work all the way through the book of Acts, you never hear from John. He never says anything. It's always Peter. Second half of the book of Acts switches. It becomes Paul, the spokesman for that band. It's not that John didn't have anything to say, right? And when John finally got around to it, he had a lot to say. He wrote a gospel, he wrote three letters, he wrote the book of Revelation, he had a lot to say. But when they were together as a group, John's quiet. Peter talks. Go with me to 1 Timothy 5. I think this is the principal text 
or the concept of a first among equals. First Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul says there's a, there's a differentiation among elders. All elders are, are worthy of honor. It's an honorable position, and the congregation should honor its leadership. But there are certain elders, Paul says, who rule well. It's translated here in the New American Standard, but the, the Greek verb is prohistemi. Now, we talked about this, didn't we? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Prohistemi, pro, before. Histemi, to stand. Let those who stand well be considered worthy of double honor, is what he says. Let those who stand before well. We were looking at it in context of a man standing well before his home before, but he stands well before the church. Certain elders are more effective in pastoral care, more effective in their leadership. Perhaps they're greater visionaries or better planners or organizers or motivators or protectors or providers. There's a diversity of giftedness, isn't there? So Paul says that let those who do this well, kalos, do a good job at it, an above average job at it, I guess I could say, are considered worthy of double honor. Double honor. Timae in the Greek. In context here, it means money. Choose over here, look, verse 3 of the same chapter. Paul says, honor widows who are widows indeed. You read through the context here, he's talking about putting them on a widow's role and providing financially for their needs. That's what honor means in this context. It has a, it has a financial side to it. Paul's saying that let those elders who do a superior job in this area get paid for it. Why? Why would you pay them for it? You would pay them to free them to do more of what they do so well, relatively speaking. You would want to free them up, wouldn't you? I mean, if they're working hard at providing for their family and, and in some other means of employment, you're only getting what time is left over. So if the congregation has a way to provide financially for them, to release them to full-time ministry, they can give all of themselves to the task. And the church benefits. By the way, we get the English word honorarium from this Greek word here. But the elders who prohiste me well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Kapiao. To work hard, it means to, to work to the point of fatigue or exhaustion. To give yourself to the task in such a way that at the end of the day, you are wiped out. Good teaching, good teachers require long hours of investment. It is a hard task. It is a absorbing work. It is mentally strenuous. It is physically fatiguing. Some estimate, and I don't know how they estimate this, but I've read that some estimate 
that to preach a sermon is the equivalent in calories burned of eight hours of manual labor. Now, I don't know how in the world they would ever measure that, Dennis. But I do know that it is tiring. Very tiring. I mean, to, to prepare requires the discipline of the mind. And to deliver requires the discipline of the mind and the mouth. That's hard work. It's hard work. It requires a lot of strength, a lot of self-discipline, a lot of hard work. Those who do it well, Paul says, should be released to do more of it. So there is a basic exception to the idea of shared leadership, not in a hierarchical sense. There is a, a leveling, there is an equality in responsibility, there is an equality in authority, but there is a recognition of a difference in giftedness. Some of the elders are better teachers than others. Some of the elders are better leaders than others. Those that are, Paul says, release them to do more of it. But it's not a pastor and his elder board. He's not a CEO with a board of directors that report to him. There is equality here. Biblical evidence for shared leadership is everywhere. The beneficial effects of shared leadership are obvious. The basic exception to shared leadership relates to giftedness. God's word is clear. He does not intend for his church to be led by one man. It is to be led by a, a pool, a group of godly elders, a council of equals who meet together, who pray together, who beseech the Lord together for wisdom to lead Shepherd is church. That's what he desires. That's what he blesses. Let's pray. God, our Father, I thank you for the elders of this church. I thank you, Lord God, that you have put it on the hearts of these men to make enormous personal sacrifice to shepherd this congregation. I thank you, Lord God, for the camaraderie that the elders of this church share with one another in a common purpose and goal and desire to glorify you in all that we do. I thank you, Lord God, that there is diversity among us, sometimes strong differences of opinion, but a common desire to glorify you in a, a humility of heart that would allow us to disagree without being disagreeable. Lord God, I thank you that you have led this church in the past, and, and by faith, Lord, I thank you that you will continue to lead this church into the future through a council of equals. Our Father, help us to pursue this with vigor. Let us not lapse into laziness and to delegate to one or another responsibilities that we all share alike. May you bless this congregation, our Father, for your glory as we seek to follow you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.